0: Short and sweet. Continuing our study on the Psalms, we're in Psalm 63 tonight. Man, what a a great psalm. So here's the question for us as we begin. Are you thirsty? Or perhaps a better way to say it is, what are you thirsty for? What is it that you want? What is it that you believe not only in your your mind and your thoughts, but in your actions, would quench your thirst. This is a psalm about David's thirst. It's a psalm about our thirst. It's a psalm about the thirst of the people of God, longing for God to do what he has promised to do. And what is that? To satisfy. To satisfy our souls. David's thirst isn't merely him being parched metaphorically in this, this wilderness. It is that. It's not any less than his need, his deep need, his deep physical sense of that need. I mean, have you ever been really thirsty? You ever go up camelback, you know, thinking, oh, it's nice and cool in the morning, but it was just a little too late in the spring. And what happened, right? <laughs> 10, 11 o'clock rolls around, it's 95, I'm good. You know, on your way down, it's 105, you only brought one bottle of water, and you know what it's like to really Thirst. Need is part of this, but it's more than that. It's also confident expectation because David's thirst here isn't just arbitrarily placed in the powers of the universe. His thirst is a prayer that he brings before his God, believing that that God can and will satisfy. This is the trust we have for our Heavenly Father. I was reminded of this just yesterday. I took Aria to her first father-daughter dance. It was super emotional, I'm not going to lie. You know, you're sitting there dancing with your little girl. She's five, you know, doing the slow song together. She's like, hold me, daddy. I just, you know, lays your, lays your head on your shoulder. Just like melt to the floor and die. I'm like, take me, Jesus. That's, you know, I'm good. This is it, you know. It's been, uh, but it was funny because all day she's asking. Are we ready yet? Are we ready yet? Are we ready yet? You know, not. it's not like a road trip. It's not kind of that, like, perturbed about, like, hey, are we there yet? It was more just like, is it time? Is it time? And we kept having to explain to her, like, this is a clock. <laughs> <laughs> this is what a clock, you see this tick, tick, tick? It doesn't speed up, all right? We love Einstein, but we can't speed it up, all right? It, and so it was like every hour on the hour, you know, eight hours in advance. She's wanting to get ready because... Uh, Caitlin helped with her hair and did her nails, and it was super sweet. But I mean, literally, three hours in advance, I'm ready to get ready. Like, ah, you're a true lady. True, that's awesome. Sorry, Uh, back up. But, you know, it was really sweet because she was just thirsty, man. She was just thirsty and longing and hungering for this, this great and eagerly expected moment. And I want us to know tonight that if we are thirsting, or however you are thirsting, it's not not judgment that you're in the wilderness thirsty. Now, we shouldn't thirst for the wrong things, but because you're thirsting, that's not judgment. In fact, it's mercy. It's mercy is a reminder to us that we need to thirst, and we need to thirst for the right things that really satisfy So in Psalms, we're kind of titling our series what? Gospel Rhythms. Here we are in book two, lots of Psalms by David. We're building climactically toward those triumphant last five Psalms. But here we are in the middle of the book, still with our tension and embracing that tension of the now, God is here, he's present, but the not yet. Suffering is real. Challenges are real. The world is really broken. No politician will fix it. No amount of money will fix it. No amount of power that I have or you have is just gonna fix it. There's a deeper need. Psalm 63, my soul thirsts for you. And I say to us, again, it should. <laughs> Our souls are made to thirst and they're made to thirst for God. They're made to thirst for God because God alone can truly satisfy the nature of that thirst. And the good news, the gospel Fulfilled in Christ, of Psalm 63, is that he will. So let's read the psalm together, and then we'll pray. A psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land, where there is no water. Phoenix. Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. It is good. It is life-giving and nourishing. It is fresh water, the water of life for us. Speak to us now, we pray, through Psalm 63. Do surgery on our hearts. Cut us where there is sin. As we confessed our sins earlier from the Psalms, it's, it is hard to pray those things, but we know our hearts and our minds. We know what it's like to sin against you and have a seared conscience and for it to weigh heavy upon us and affect us and affect us our relationship with you, ourselves, and others. So cleanse us by the blood of Jesus from all unrighteousness. Build us up because you are holy. We are now made holy, adopted sons and daughters of the living God in Christ, and sent to be life and living water, even for the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple points tonight, guys. First, embrace your thirst. Life leaves us with need. In suffering, we want relief. And just in the daily, in the mundane, (laughs) we need to remember that we're pilgrims. This is not our final home. Need and thirst won't ever go away until that glorious moment of Revelation 22. What about for David? Why is he so thirsty? Well, we're told at the beginning of the psalm, where is David? He's in the wilderness. The wilderness here represents loneliness, tiredness. It represents enemies encroaching. So, scholars aren't sure exactly when this wilderness episode took place. Was he being pursued by Saul? Was it someone else? Was it all of the above? They're not exactly sure on the timeline, but we do know this. At this point, David had been anointed, he had been anointed by the priest, Samuel. Hands laid on him. You will be the king. The promises had been given to him. So receive this for yourselves in Jesus Christ. This is you. You have been, if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you have been anointed. You are a son or a daughter of the king, adopted into his family. But can't you relate with David's wilderness? And not yet. The lonely, the tired, the fear, the shame, even in church, especially in church. Hiding. Apathy. Apathy. I don't know, so many things. But it's not just the wilderness. And notice this, because at the beginning of this psalm, in fact, if you look at the psalms in Hebrew, verse 1 is actually what we call the title of the psalm. So we start in, you know, verse 1, O God, you are my God. In the Hebrew, they start with verse 1, a psalm of David, etc. So there's deep intentionality here. The wilderness of what? Of Judah. Yes, he's in... The wilderness, and yes, it's difficult, but it's not just any wilderness. It's not just any valley and any shadow of death. It's the wilderness, the difficulty, the trial of Judah. And what do we know of Judah? Many things, but at least this, that the promised line of the Messiah would come from Judah. Judah was the son of Jacob who was given the greatest blessing and promise. From you will come the eternal king. So yes, he's in the wilderness, but he is not in the wilderness by himself. He is in the wilderness of promise. He still has his identity. And that's why he can begin with this hopeful confession. God, you are my God. And this is so important for us. When we're suffering, this is where you begin. David is showing us how to pray in our wilderness. Begin here. God, who have we but you? Think of the words of Peter in the New Testament. I love these. Say it all the time. It's like, always come back to these. Jesus says, you know what, will you follow me? It's this moment of choice. Peter goes, Lord, who do we have but you? And the reason I love that it's Peter who says that is because this is the chump who's going to deny Jesus three times. It's that guy. But it's not his perfection as a follower of the Messiah that earns his way into heaven. It's precisely his great faith in the object, Jesus. It opens those gates for him. David confesses and he admits. Earnestly, I seek you. He admits his thirst. We need to admit the same. We need to allow our thirst to not just be something that we try to put band-aids on. What happens, right? The going gets tough and we just look for little easy ways to distract ourselves, to escape. I do it all the time. We have to allow ourselves to be deep enough in maturity, united to the vine, which is Christ, to internalize these Struggles so that we can actually see our source is Jesus and we can and should fight for that. What is the nature of David's thirst? Simple. And he comes like a child. Would it be this way for all of us? God, I need you. I want you. I don't just need an army right now. You see, David had men he could call upon in this moment.
1: Let's rise up
0: and fight Saul. But David would never do that because at the time, Saul was still installed as the king of Israel. And David would never lift his hand against the man that God had still allowed providentially to be the king. David didn't need at this point power or men or religion. He just cries out, God, I need you. I need you to be with me. I need you to do your will. I need you to meet me here in this wilderness with that promise. This is deeply important for us, guys, because there's so much in the world that doesn't satisfy. Love that old commercial, right? Where's the beef? Maybe you're too young to actually remember the commercial, but you've probably heard this saying, you know, where's the beef? So much of this world doesn't satisfy so many things that we've tried. You know, turning our eyes lustfully toward men or toward women or objects. You know, it might be pornography or it might just be if I had that, you know, that godly guy or that godly girl. Right? Or maybe it's the reverse of that. Maybe it's not so much the lust for pleasure as it is comfort and security. You know, my husband, my wife, my boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever, they're not satisfying me right now. Money. And how many times have we just thought to ourselves, if I had more money, I wouldn't have these problems. Well, actually, if you've spent much time around wealthy people, they still have a lot of problems. In some ways, they have more problems. In some ways, they have less problems. But they haven't escaped the sting of death by any means. We're always looking to other things to satisfy. The other person, the other child, the other life, that distant land where the grass is greener, it's a mirage. And worse than that, it's an enemy of God's promise because what does it do? It teases us, (laughs) It increases the craving as we seek it while simultaneously failing time and time again to meet our needs. It's like a bad infomercial. You know, just buy this cream and you'll look so much better. You'll look like this lady behind the cameras with a computer-generated airbrush. You spend a lot of money for the cream. You put your money up on that altar. It comes in the mail. You apply it and you never look as good as the person behind the camera. We have to admit that this is in our own hearts. We have to admit that this thirst is there, on the one hand, and also our willingness, so frequent and so quick, to run after the things that don't satisfy. This is the law. But then the gospel, God's deepest promise to David, the psalmist, and to us, his children, you will be satisfied. Run to God, run to his mercy, run to his love, you will be satisfied. So we should ask that question. I mean, what is there that's better than life? The psalmist uses those words. As I was doing our our neighbor's funeral this last week, Stanley Kohler was at the Veterans Memorial Cemetery. I'd never been there before, but it was really a breathtaking moment to stand in the cemetery. You know, it's the clear Arizona air. It's pretty flat. And as far as the eye can see, there are these gravestones, you know, these voices calling out from the grave, asking us all the same question. What yeah. will really satisfy you in this life that is a vapor, that is so quick, that is here one day, gone the next? Is there anything that is better than life? The psalmist gives us the answer, yes, there is. Yes, there is. So where does David go with his need? To worship, to the sanctuary. This is where God is drawing us. And it's not just when we're feeling good. I know that for me on some days and for you on some days, it is really hard to get here. And I I mean that. It can be. It can be a joy or it can be like nails on a chalkboard. It's the last place we want to be. But know this, God isn't just bringing us to worship when we feel good or we feel like we're worthy or have earned the right. But precisely when we are our thirstiest, he brings us here with his table spread for us. And what do we encounter in worship? The psalmist tells us, steadfast love. We read that word steadfast and it basically doesn't mean anything to us. Steadfast love. and You guys use that one a lot, right? Just in your everyday speech. I totally steadfast love you, babe. Hope you feel the intensity of that because it's in the Bible. You're my steadfast lover. No, I mean, no one says that. But the implications here are monumentous. You see, this is in the context of worship. What David's saying is if you want to be satisfied, come to worship the living God and he will meet you there. For his glory, for your joy, for the life of the world. And how will he meet you? In covenant love. Esed. Steadfast love. Love that is unbreakable. Love that is unthwartable. He will meet you there in the kind of love that will never let you go. And that's why we get this picture of clinging Because God is faithful to the thirsty. He says, My soul clings to you. But more than that, His hand upholds me. What's this picture of? It's a child clinging to the neck of their parent. And yet, everyone knows who's watching this that it's not the strength of the child's arms that holds them in that place of comfort and security, but it is precisely the strength of the parental arms that keep them there. This is a picture of the Father's upholding arm that sustains us. And that is how we are to cling to steadfast love, not in our own strength, but by faith, believing even in our wilderness that he will never let us go. We can have our faith in this promise because of Jesus. He was thirsty to quench your thirst. He refused the sponge with hyssop at the cross. He would not have his thirst satiated for a moment with wine to dull the pain. Why? So that he could bear the fullness of our sin and God's wrath for us. So that in our deepest thirst he could say, I relate to you, I've been there, and I fixed the problem. He rose from the dust of chaos, dry, parched, dust he rose to conquer death he rose to conquer ezekiel's valley of dry bones so he could then be the picture of the river of life in ezekiel 47 and revelation 22 god is fully satisfied in the work of jesus it is finished and because jesus is for you god is fully satisfied in you and you can be fully satisfied in him so now what as streams of living water pour forth from the gospel to our lives, what do we do? Well, we go to the places where the world has been torn asunder by the ravaging floods of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You put on your little hard hat and your FEMA badge, and you go where ungodly floods have wreaked havoc and chaos. The church is called to be the joyful and sacrifice in the body of Christ that brings fresh and living water to the world. Go and dig wells if you have been quenched. We see this in the psalm. David's worship turns immediately to action. He's thirsting and longing. He encounters the glory of God in worship, his steadfast love. He is changed and changed. He is compelled. He is tasted from the well of God's grace. And God says, Great! Get out of the church and go dig wells of your own for the thirsty. Three ways. Blessing with his mouth, lifting his hands, conquering his enemies. Who has God sent you to bless with your mouth? Remember the word bless in Hebrew has the connotation of serve. If you go to Israel today, you will hear guys shouting in Hebrew the word bless as they whip the camels. Because the same word for bless can often have the connotation of kneel. Bowing down, prostrate, to serve. Basically, they're saying, camels, serve these people. David blesses God with his mouth. Who has God sent you to serve and bless with your words today? The soul that is satisfied even in suffering can't help but speak about what it is seen and heard. And we must speak and speak clearly and simply, the simple gospel. We're not trying to convert people to a big theological system. Or, you know, to the, to the PCA. Half of you don't even know what that means. And I praise Jesus for it. That's not what we're converting people to. We want them to come to the deep well. Jesus. The PCA well is like 30 years old, dude. It's tiny. It doesn't even have much water in it. But the well of Jesus is eternal. And you can never, never get to the bottom of it. We are to speak in every place. We are given the opportunity both in private and in public. Wise as serpents, innocent in doves, bold, careful, honest. We're to lift our hands. It's more than words, isn't it? I love this. David doesn't just come with words. Words are too easy. It's a call to live in the wilderness as anointed ones by our works. And how hard is that to do, by the way? Because that's what you want to do. When you know who you really are in Christ, but you're in this wilderness of suffering, and oh yeah, God, we know it's the wilderness of promise. Thanks a lot. That's what I want to do. Good works. But you know what? There's a brilliant thinker, Blaise Pascal. And he said something profound. He said, if you were feeling melancholy in your soul, if you were feeling like you were in the wilderness of God, sometimes the very way that God would break you from that wilderness and bring you to the mountaintop is through the ordinary means of serving someone in more need than you. So wherever you're at, don't serve people who have less need than you. Go find people who are even more busted and broken than you are and bring them The little water that you have. Spirit empowers these works of love. So ask yourself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pray to the counselor and the advocate. God, help us know who is thirsty for help around us. Because you know what? A lot of times people who are really thirsty really want you to not think they are. So they are super good actors. And we all do this too. But if they would be honest... And open and broken, you would get to know that there is deep thirst there. So you must go look for them. You must learn people and ask questions and go find those who are thirsty. Find them and help them. God is not pleased alone with our words of worship in the sanctuary and beatific visions of his glory and majesty. If it's faith without works, we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone. But faith is never alone. It's always accompanied by the empowering works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Find them, help them. And lastly, we see that these enemies who cannot find true satisfaction, who are ever and always wanting and longing for more of themselves, they come to their own end. Their worthless works are burned. You know, C.S. Lewis describes hell as this, right? It it is a city. Just like the new Heaven of the new earth will be a real place and a real city, hell is a real city. And in that city, people are suffering. They're suffering in two ways. Some are suffering because they are completely and utterly lonely. They become so absorbed with themselves that they have lost what it means to be human. They're on the outskirts of the city. They don't want anyone to know them or bug them, and they are dying inside daily, by their own hand, in loneliness. And then there are those who are in the urban center of the city, and it's grit, and it's anger, and it's nothing but a struggle for power till one reaches the top, and no sooner do they reach the top than they're toppled by another. This is what will happen to those who live by the rule of the sword, we're told, because to live by that rule, powers and principalities, things that don't satisfy them for a moment, bears its own consequence. We are to trust God in the wilderness and live today like forever matters most. So yes, let us join with the psalmist. Yes, we will be satisfied. We were satisfied in Christ. We are satisfied by his grace now and we will be in the hope of what is to come. This full satisfaction will only come for us in in heaven but this is why we talk about gospel rhythms, beats and silence so that we can learn what it means to march by the beat of God's satisfying river of life even in the wilderness, marching forth, striving for the resolution of it all but knowing that Christ is sufficient for us Now, in his wilderness distress, David looks ahead with confident expectation. And in Christ, that same confidence is ours. And by Christ, it is ours to give away. It is ours to give away. So pour the water in your glasses high. And go and find those who thirst in the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us to your table tonight. Thank you for your word and sacraments. Thank you for the preached word of the gospel and now this visible word.